0: Uh, we're in the basement, <laughs> depends how honest you want it used to be really, but that, that used to be called the rat cupboard. <laughs> and the reason for that is because when we first came in, there was a family of rats who lived in this, what used to be an old accountant's office.
1: This is Lekha. I'm Lucy Dearlove. Learning to cook is such an interesting thing to me, This is often something I think about when I'm on TikTok as countless cooking videos pop up on my FYP, because never before in history have we had such frictionless access to videos of people cooking things. And it seems really logical to learn how to cook this way because cooking is such a physical activity. But when you consider cooking schools, which again, makes sense to learn this way because it's such a physical thing, Cooking schools tend to be quite serious and formal. In my mind, I always have a picture of stainless steel surfaces and industrial appliances. But what about a different kind of cooking school? One intended to try and meet people where they are in terms of their skills, their knowledge and their kitchens. This is Jeremy Pang, who founded the School of Wok.
0: In the first week of us opening, uh, the f- one of the first ever customers we had was our landlords. And it was in their class that um, we saw a lo- lovely, friendly creature sort of run past the, uh, the surveyor. And, and, and uh, <laughs> I, I didn't tell her because it, obviously our customers say, so we... we so distracted her. I distracted her with, distract her with beautiful walks, food. Yes. And, <laughs> and, and then they had a lovely time. And then uh, the day after, I sent her an email. I said, can you please sort this out? <laughs> a problem so it's now not the rat covered. <laughs> anyway um I love that that's what you <laughs> <laughs> and this is adrian's going what the <laughs> okay <laughs> right anyway it, oh, let's get over the rat story welcome to school walk
1: on this episode i'm handing over the hosting to my friend and collaborator the food writer adrian Katz kennedy Adria and I headed down to the School of walk together so she could interview Jez, an old friend of hers.
2: I met Jez about 12 years ago or so. Wow, okay. um, I was managing a cookery school in Marylebone, and he and his business partner walked in looking for some place to hire to do some cookery classes.
1: Right, and then he poached you.
2: And then he poached <laughs> me. It's great.
0: The concept at the beginning was very much, I could teach you, anyone, in three hours, you can pick three dishes, any food that you've ever eaten in a Chinese restaurant, I'll teach you how to cook. Which was quite a big concept because I, I mean, I couldn't cook any, like every single dish that every single Chinese restaurant in the UK has ever offered. It's like, I It's asking a
2: lot from you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: Yeah, and and people did. Like most people would, you know, they'd ask for like a, an egg fried rice, a, a sweet and sour pork, and a, and a, maybe a crispy chilli beef or something mm-hmm. like that. But and to be fair, I'd never even cooked a crispy chilli beef in my life before opening School of Wok. But I knew, like, because of my upbringing, my dad and my my dad was definitely more of the wok sort of like sort of chef, and he, he at home, and you know, I learned a lot from him growing up. Not that he taught me; he just he just showed me. He, he just like watch sound watch and, and and you'll learn very quickly after opening in 2009 and teaching sort of friends of friends I think it took about six months um, for um most of my customers I know 55 percent of the customers after six months are coming from Google searching for Chinese cooking lessons
1: that's in cool. London
2: there was quite a thirst for yeah. home cooking at that time though with recession and kind of moving yeah. away from restaurant entertaining into home entertaining. It was, so it, it was. sounds like it was serendipitous.
0: I think you're right. I think the recession helped me start this business, which is a weird thing to think about. You know, I was like 25, what do I do? I'd lost my job on, on the day of my dad's burial and, and, and then came back home to a recession, couldn't find a job in corporate again. Um, I was in marketing and PR, you know, marketing mainly. You know, my my wife basically said to me, well, why don't you teach cooking? And I, that's how it started. And then now, like looking, what, 13 years back, I think the concept of School of Work hasn't changed that much. But what we did when we stepped foot in here was we got rid of the, we'll teach you anything, it's your choice. It, It was more like, no, we have to build menus into each one of the classes because otherwise it was just not manageable. If everyone wants to learn something completely different in the same class, it's just not manageable at all. At that time, it was mainly Chinese still, but what we did was we split them at the very beginning. Because we'd been to lots of Western cookery classes, we split them like they did, and that was like knife skills or wok skills or, you know, but very quickly we realized that didn't work for us that actually we had to teach every class like you were cooking a normal meal at home like you wouldn't ever just focus at home on your knife skills no. <laughs> especially with Asian cooking you're like no every every class needs knife skills <laughs> yeah that's important you know um, so the first half an hour every class now and the format changed at, at that point in the first year I'd say every half an hour of every class was here this is how you use a cleaver yeah these are the reasons why a cleaver is so so much more versatile in 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 many ways to a twenty centimeter chef's knife yeah mm-hmm. um and then you move on to like your like your preparation is done, let's make some lovely dumplings or whatever, and you know you, you get that sort of nice therapeutic feeling of, of of like making something it's like an immediate reward when you've made something you've never made before, and it looks beautiful in front of you, yeah mm. and then you go into what cooking you get your adrenaline rush, <laughs> yeah so over time it changed to like. Um, more, like, cuisine-based. And we started to introduce more, like, Southeast Asian cuisines, you know, and things like that. And now we teach Chinese or Southeast Asian cuisines, Korean, Japanese. Um, but it's taken us best part of 10 years to be able to introduce what I would say the UK mass audience would deem as newer cuisines here. Yeah. And even then, most people, like, don't really know like the anything out of outside of like a handful of the most popular dishes from those places. Yeah. What we're teaching is like not necessarily like how to cook one dish, like dish by dish. Of course we do that in the classes. What we're teaching is more like why I think Asian families, most Asian families I know, food is what brings us together. So so it, it's like a cultural, like um, a really positive cultural experience without being too focused on being asian <laughs> does that make sense yeah yeah i think that was important to me because I, I mean i was brought up in the best of both worlds so but the best part of the asian culture that i was brought up in was definitely the food and feasts that we had as a family yeah so to bring that to the world in a different way that that i think that's why we've we've stayed here Other than the name being super cool, we've stayed it because we've got quite a unique way of
2: delivering that. The rat cupboard is now completely sealed up, totally safe, and is in fact used as a cloakroom. School Walk is close to the heart of Covent Garden, near Chinatown, on a quiet little alleyway that you wouldn't know existed if you weren't going there for a particular purpose.
0: It's just behind... Coots Bank, it's almost like a lost lost street. No one, no one really knows it. It, it. It's here. And it, it's never really changed that way. But there are some nice, like, you know, the harp, the pub down the road, has been here for God knows how long. It was when we first started owned by a lovely old Irish lady who owned it for many, many years. And it, it's a little sort of community almost, yeah.
2: When Jez and his business partner, Nev, first went to view the school, it was an accountant's office. And the first room you walked into was just set up into little cubbies. So now it's the shop front. You walk in, it's where classes will do their preparations, all of their knife skills, and then at the end the tables are flipped around so it's where everyone can enjoy their meal together at the end of the class. So at the back of the space you have the kitchen where the class will go into towards the end of the three-hour period to watch a demonstration, and then do all of the wok cooking.
0: When we got through to this back kitchen, this is when both Nev and I, my business partner and I, were quite excited, I would say, because this space was, in terms of an empty shell, how it currently feels. And so we came in here, and they actually already had the skylights, I think. And there's a lot of light that comes in here, even though we're in central London and we're surrounded by buildings, we get this sort of flood of light in here, natural light. And when we came in here, we thought, oh yeah, we could definitely build a kitchen into here. And that's when we started thinking, okay, this this is more real than not. The basement downstairs was hard to figure out, but we sort of worked the design of School of Walk backwards from this back kitchen. It's a weird shape, but it does does work now. This is where we do all our filming uh, for the School walk YouTube channel. Of course, we need the space for a lot of pots and pans. And yeah, you know, all the woks are under, like in the cupboards, you know, like. but you can see woks dotted around everywhere and, you know, steam baskets like all over the place.
2: The School of Walk is quite different than a lot of other professional or even recreational cookery schools in that it doesn't feel overwhelming. There's no big, shiny appliances for the most part. It's not a professional kitchen. It feels a lot more like a domestic space. The whole School of Walk approach and Jez's approach is to make it relaxed, to make cooking fun rather than task oriented. So I think the reason for the school being set up the way it is, is to make customers feel comfortable. So they're less intimidated by the skills that they're going to learn.
0: What we wanted was an open space where every pod or kitchen pod felt like like a flat kitchen. Like you don't, require huge amounts of space to be able to cook beautifully, like good home food, home cooked food. Yeah. I mean, all the way around There's sort of single, what well, we call them like domino hobs or induction <laughs> hobs, because they literally are look like a domino piece dotted around the outside of the kitchen. In the middle of the kitchen, there's an island uh, with a one, uh, the only gas hob in School of walk and then two domino induction hobs either side. I've got one gas wok hob in there that's mainly for use on the YouTube channel so that I've got a bit of versatility. But the whole concept with School of Wok was I started teaching people in their own homes how to cook Chinese food. When you teach in people's homes, you don't have a choice of what hob you have. So, (laughs) And so it was either, I mean, I remember uh, Hannah, who's one of our staff who's been a long time, her dad, it's one of my first ever customers and they had in their old kitchen a ceramic hob you know old school 1970s style ceramic hob you know we cooked like all the stuff that we teach here today we were cooking on that hob and uh, we worked out how yeah i am not a believer of like you know, the traditional is always best, I think. I, I, I think it's a case of like, well, no, you use what you got mm. and you work it out from there. And at first, when we put induction hubs into here, a lot of people were how can you have a wok school without gas, uh, gas feed? We actually capped off the gas feed. We don't have a gas feed today. We just have a butane gas cylinder under this hub for that because, um, because we capped off the gas feed mm. quite confidently. Yeah. For various reasons. Commercially, um, we were at that point, we uh, made a link with... Uh, one of our sponsors who were really like, it's sort of at the forefront of induction technology. Um, and they said, can you cook this stuff on induction? And I said, give me heat, any type of heat and you can cook it. But also we thought actually, no, it's a nice thing because it's modern, it's easy to clean down. But it's also, we felt that most like modern like flats these days built with either electric or induction hobs. And so if we couldn't teach people how to use their own equipment, then we wouldn't succeed. There was a lot of cookery schools, we used to dot around all of them before we opened here, that had quite commercial industrial kitchen spaces that they were doing cooking classes in. Actually, we knew that customers going to those cook schools were quite daunted by standing, just even standing in an industrial kitchen environment. And so we wanted this space to be as close to home as possible. And that has worked, and it, that has never changed. Like, we've always had that feeling of, oh, whatever restrictions, whether you feel may be at home, you, you still have here. But we're showing you that they're not really restrictions. You can cook what you want, as so long as you've got a bit of heat. Because yeah? um, once you control heat and know how to control heat, you can you can cook on anything here. Yeah. The School of walkway is very much like hands-on cooking, so... As much as possible. We explain little things here or there, or we give people like tips and tricks on how to be more confident on the walk or how to get the best out of cooking their Thai curries or whatever it might be. But like where possible, we'll we'll take a guinea pig to demonstrate stuff from the group of customers because that I believe makes the whole group then much more confident that they can do it themselves. Yeah. Um, when customers first walk in, most of the time most of the time, they don't know each other. In the first 10, 15 minutes, they can be quite quiet and not really sort of get on, like, you know, they're just a bit sort of scared of talking to each other. But, but then the chef gets them involved, they start chopping, they're really concentrating on not chopping their fingers off, you know, and then once they've gotten past the sort of garlic, ginger and spring onion, right. um, <laughs> then they're usually pretty comfortable and they start chatting to each other, oh, you know, and, and, and then by that point out there when they're pre- preparing it's actually quite it's always quite zen in this in a sense it's quite yeah. especially the public classes very relaxed and but also everyone's really eager to learn I'd say then it takes about what 45 minutes an hour or so at least before they might have to come in here and cook a curry or get a curry started when they come in here like oh yeah let's, let's get cooking sort of thing they've got that feeling and, and then the chef usually because of our Styler cooking like asian cooking there's a lot of um it, it can be quite theatrical in many senses so so they enjoy that um you know the wok demonstrations or even like intricacies of like how to get the best flavor out of uh, a curry paste you know by sort of slowly frying it off and you know all that sort of stuff is interesting isn't it it's interesting yeah and that's part of the love of food enjoy it like You know, some things are really quick, some things are much slower, and the slower things, you know, you you enjoy that, you know, you give it that love, and the the quicker things, you get that adrenaline rush.
2: As Jez was talking about the physicality and the joy you get from cooking in person, I was wondering how he helped to translate that to the cookbooks he writes.
0: Cooking is, is extremely... Like physical, everything is done by like hand-eye coordination and you know muscle memory. The best place to to do it is actually come in and 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 take a class. Like, but even even um, watching a cooking cooking demonstration like is is um, perhaps you, you're taking more in that twenty minutes than you might take in from reading the, the whole introduction to my to, to a book. You know, so yeah, but. But the, what the the books do is is they sort of um, they're the sort of more prolonged effect of of learning. You can go back to it. You can go into like pages that you've missed, or you might not remember everything that we've taught you in a class. That's why we think we have things like the what clock because whether it's illustrated in a book or it's standing it's, it's sitting right in front of you on a table, it, it's very like it like it's visually appealing <laughs> like you see it and you go oh that is that's so useful do you want to you know, explain
2: of... what a wok clock
0: is yes yeah yeah so so wok clock i think i guess i've become a bit famous for a school wok has it's like our way of um explaining mise en place yeah <laughs> but it's you know a round plate you got around everyone's got round plates at home uh, so that's your wok clock and you start at 12 o'clock with your first ingredient and then you go all the way around so by the time you've done your 90% of, you, you know, your preparation, all your, your chopping and getting your sauces together, anything that you need to, like, soak or, or cook pre-cook, you know, you've done all of that, then your recipe's right there in front of you and you know exactly what needs to go first, second, third, fourth, fifth, yeah. That's what the wok clock is, and, and it, it works a treat, not just with wok cooking, but any type of cooking. And most people, most friends I know who, who like, re- you know, read my recipes or books or whatever... They, that's the the thing that they take away is the, is the wok clock, and they'll, they'll um, they it just better's their cooking in general.
2: In Jeremy's other cookbooks, while the wok clock has been included in his new book, Jeremy Pang's School of Wok, this is the first time where there is a visual illustration. It's done by Freya at the brand new studio, who's worked with Jeremy on all of his books.
0: I'll say the the title of the the dish, and then I'll I'll explain the wok clock. Great. Yeah, fine. All right. So we've got a a ginger and spring onion chicken uh, from the school wok cookbook. Really, starts and finishes with the wok clock. So you do your preparation, you know, any chopping and things like that. In the first segment at 12 o'clock with spring onion, um, finely sliced spring onion. And then moving on from that next to the spring onion, we've got some ginger and garlic because I want my spring onion to go in first before my ginger and garlic. So it gets nicely seared and you get that flavour, that essence of the spring onion. Your ginger and garlic goes in, and then after that on the wok clock, you've got your red onion, harder vegetables, uh, green peppers, whatever veg you want really following on. And then you've got your chicken, which has been marinated, and that's in the recipe, so it's like pre-marinated meat uh, after your harder vegetables. Once your chicken's seared, then you've got the sauce, because I always say that your sauce goes last. In the stir-fry, you have sauce in two places, one in the marinade and secondly uh, in, for your actual stir-fry sauce. And that sauce is made up in a little bowl or ramekin, last on your wok clock, uh, with some chicken stock, oyster sauce, dark soy, Shaoxing rice wine, uh, and a bit of sesame oil. Um, and so that can then all get poured into your stir fry at the right time. Uh, and you don't hopefully have to go back to the recipe book and make this beautiful recipe book too messy. <laughs> I always say that I'm, my job is to simplify explanations of techniques, but not to simplify techniques. <laughs>
1: hmm, that makes sense. <laughs> so, that
0: makes sense. Yeah, so, so, so if if you find something like the wok clock, which for us is like gold dust because it, it, it's... It's perfect for that because once you get used to creating your wok clocks, say you're cooking four or five completely different dishes in one night, like for a little dinner party, really that gets broken down into four or five plates that you need to wash up at the end, as opposed to the whole kitchen being an absolute mess. Anyone who who's like really like uses our sort of teaching takes that on board, like because it it's so much easier, it's so much more pleasurable, yeah. It's there to like visually have visual impact to go, okay, now I've cooked two or three recipes from the book, perhaps I don't even need to read the method and I can just go straight to the ingredients list and the what clock. You know, and know how to cook it. Yeah. Cooking in person is always better because it's more fun for sure. Yeah. And cooking should be fun. Like, you know, or it can be like, cooking should be emotional, it shouldn't like it should you know, it should you can cook when like if you're angry, it's a good time to cook, you know? <laughs> like, you definitely get a cleaver out, not for the wrong reasons, but, like, get a cleaver and a chopping board out and get some ginger and smash it. Because, like, you that is, like, therapy there, right there in front of you, you know, with know, with a bit of ginger, you know? And, well, like the other day, and I wasn't... Last week, I wasn't angry, you know, but I, was, I, had, I had a stressful week, but my best friend came over from Miami, and, like, on Friday afternoon, I just set aside four hours just to cook whatever I wanted, without a camera, like, without even any thought or need to take a photo of this beautiful food that I was cooking. And I just put my headphones on, put some music on, and I just cooked, like I cooked a banquet for like three of us. I said, what well, do you want to eat? So Chinese food, of course. So I was like, okay, fine, I'll cook it. But you know, not, not very often do I even cook like lobster, like, you know, ginger and spring onion lobster at home. But I haven't seen him for five years, so you know, like And it's enjoyable,
2: Though Jeremy is a chef, he's not a chef in the restaurant sense. He's a teacher, so he's in a really unique position for a few different reasons. From working with you for so long, I felt like at the beginning, it was a much smaller box that you were, or the school was being shoved into, that it was, you were representing Chinese cookery Mm -hmm. as a whole, or Chinese people as a whole, rather than Jeremy Pang and the school of walk and all of the people who have come through the doors and their Mm -hmm. version of what this could be, this cuisine has been for them their influences that kind of thing.
0: No, you, you are right in that sense. I, I definitely was shoehorned uh, into um, my my background uh, and my my place of origin, mm. I guess. Um, but which is here? Yes. But yeah. 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 Right. Yes. It, you know, I was yes. born in the UK. Yep. I was probably for the first ten years of my life much more British than I was. Chinese or seem to be deemed to be I only really started learning about Asian cuisine in Singapore when I lived in Singapore when I was 10 years old Mm. I didn't like food at all for the first 10 years of my life you know because I just wanted to play yeah Um, I found eating a chore you know and I didn't actually really see myself as being that Chinese yeah Mm. Um, but over like the, the last couple of decades like you, you change as you go forwards and you, you learn a lot more about your, your your place of origin or your culture or whatever. But actually, even now, like, my my main thing is that, yeah, I know how to cook good food. Like, you know, I know how yeah, to yeah. teach it. So why does it matter where it comes from? It's just more about how tasty it is. Yeah. Um, you know, I know, like, the, you know, the podcast Lecker is, like, it means tasty, doesn't it? It yeah. does, yeah. Um, uh, and my German friend who, who lived with me in... Um, Uh, at university, you know, he he used to teach me all these little things, little phrases. You know, so every, you know, every time I have a cup of tea, and a know, a, you know, a very tasty cup of tea, you know. But I think that you go through phases in life, don't you? And and when you come back to it, at the very beginning, I don't have any gripe about people trying to sort of stereotype me. Mm -hmm. I just know that that happens. Mm -hmm. Um, And no matter whether, what culture you come from, There's always gonna be people who do that, whether on purpose or by accident, and that's okay. Like, I'm kind of okay with that. I know that most people won't um, necessarily agree with that. A lot of people don't agree with that, but I'm okay with it because I was brought up with in two cultures, and I, most of my friends are from all over the world, yeah. Um, Where I perhaps have seen my profile change, or. It's actually I've taken control of that and gone, okay, let me let me put myself where I want to be. And that although it I've had moments of like quite stressful moments, like trying to work out what I should be doing or what society thinks I should be doing, I always come back to then taking control of it and not caring what society thinks and just doing what I feel is best. And and that is like being myself, being kind and generous to others. And my way of doing it is sharing my talent with other people and showing them how they can do it for themselves. Yeah. Um, and I think that's certainly gotten me in my media world to a much better place. Yeah. I'm accepted in the industry and respected in the industry for working hard and honing in my skill <laughs> in communication. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Um. How do you think your customers... Um, what do you think the demands for authenticity?
0: Yeah, it's a funny Are, word, authenticity. It, isn't yes. It? Um, Has it changed? The, uh, I, no. I, it, it, the, de- the demand from mass like market customers, which definitely... It, like, from the general public, for any type of product or service, is nothing to do with authenticity, in my mind. Yeah. If, you, if you're teaching... Like, if you want to educate people in anything, you've got to look at what people like. <laughs> um, mm. And they like, people like, especially when it comes to food, people like comfort food, things that make them feel comfort, uh, nostalgia um, for themselves, not for, for someone else that they don't know from another country, country or culture. <laughs> you know, so, so authenticity to me is, like, what's authentic to that person that's coming to learn about Chinese food is what they've eaten from the Chinese culture, uh, or from a Chinese takeaway or restaurant, or perhaps a Chinese friend that they cooked for them when they were younger. <laughs> like, it, 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 so how do you manage
2: that? Because that's the same level of, it sounds, I might be wrong, but that's the same level of expectation is, pick three dishes that you've ever eaten before, and I'll teach you how to cook them. In that like, having to cater yes to somebody's no. experience that you may or might not
0: right. be aware of. No, yes and no, because after three years, even before opening the doors here in central London and doing that service, mm. 80% of the time, uh, people would pick the same dishes. <laughs> mm. You know, because mm. in the UK, and not just UK, any country, there are only certain establishments that like you can go and like, they could go and get this food when they were growing up. Mm. And so they'd eat whatever was, like, available from those types of establishments. Mm. Egg fried rice, sweet and sour pork, crispy chilli beef, prawn toast, uh, spring rolls, Mm. um, um, possibly, like, a a sweet corn soup. Um, Really, like, what I would deem as other than maybe a a fried rice and a sweet sour pork, which we would eat in a Chinese family at home, quite far away from a classic, like, real Cantonese meal, home meal. But Cantonese people, like, Chinese people like myself, even though I was born here, we don't go to Chinese takeaways to eat our dinner. Mm. (laughs) We might own them, (laughs) but we don't go to them. (laughs) But even then, as kids, we also loved those things. We loved prawn toast, we loved... You know, um, we loved a a sweet, a a proper sweet, like a sweet and sour. And, you know, my my mum and dad would scoff at us wanting to order it at a restaurant, but that's what we would want to eat, Mm.
2: you know. (laughs) It's interesting that you still have to play to what people know. You can't, I mean, part of what you do is try to teach and kind of, celebrate this openness around Chinese cuisine, around Asian cuisines and how to make it accessible in domestic spaces with whatever you have, but then having to play to what people know rather than what your family might eat at home.
0: Yeah, right. But it's it's education, isn't it? Mm. You know, like my, my oldest is first year at school you know, he he, does, he doesn't walk into school and suddenly start learning algebra. Like you know, like that's a like you, you, you walk into school and you, you they don't actually they don't actually have maths lessons. They have they play games to learn about maths. Like if 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 you don't do that in in an, any other educational sort of environment, then and make it fun, then um, people won't want to learn. Yeah, right. So so you gotta you gotta. In my mind, no matter who you are, if you want to be able to do, like, like teach people something, or show someone something they don't know, they need to be super comfortable about you doing that for them. If it means that cooking a thousand egg fried rices... Um, like, I mean, I joke that I've been flown all over the country to teach someone how to cook an egg fried rice. Like, and like, like flown all over the world, in fact. I, I remember... It, this is funny. like. Nev, my business partner, myself and Shannon, one of our ex-managers, we were flown over to Singapore uh, for a festival, for a wellness, a, a health and wellbeing festival about four or five years ago to teach Singaporeans how to make dim sum. I mean, like, you know, I was the only Chinese person there, first and foremost. Nev, my business partner's, like, I joke that he's this you know this, this sort of chef from from like the west country of UK who's only ever taught even how to eat dim sum from me ten years ago um, but we have a skill set and that is we make people feel really comfortable and relaxed and want to learn and actually most people in Asia like in Singapore even Hong Kong where dim sum is like the place to be do not know even like like, the first, like, sort of step on how to make a dumpling pastry. <laughs> right? So, th- I mean, that's funny. I mean, I've, and I've flown over to Hong Kong just for one day just to teach a, an audience of, th- like, 1500 people how to make a fried rice, a healthy fried rice. Because in Hong Kong, people don't cook. You know? Because they can get that fried rice for a couple of quid down the road, why would they make it themselves? Yeah, it's it's an interesting concept. <laughs> it's a, funny... But but the, the point I'm getting at is, like, it's... If... And I'm getting closer and closer to being able to, like, talk to a huge audiences now, but it, it hasn't changed. Like, my way of talking to a big audience or a small audience never changed. Like, and that is, how do I make everyone in that audience feel comfortable and have a bit of fun? Yeah. 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 And that works. It works. Yeah.
1: This episode of LECA was hosted by Adrian Katz Kennedy and produced by me, Lucy Dearlove. You can read Adrian's writing and find out more about her on her website, adriankatzkennedy.com. And you can find out more about Jeremy Pang at jeremypang.co.uk. And his new book, Jeremy Pang's School of Walk, is out now Walk Clock Illustrations and all. This month's Patreon exclusive episode is a conversation between myself and Adrian about the making of this episode, which was something new for both of us. Um, it was a really interesting process for me uh, for various reasons and you can listen to us talk about that by becoming a patron of lekka for £3 a month. That's at patreon.com forward slash lekka podcast. lekka is entirely listener funded and Patreon subscriptions allow me to cover running costs like transcription and music library fees but also hopefully do more collaboration like this in the future where I can pay co-hosts and contributors fairly which is really important to me. So if you enjoyed hearing from Agent on this episode then please do consider subscribing if you can afford to other ways you can support Lecker: rate and review on apple Podcasts or spotify uh buy things from the Lecker big cartel site i'll link that in the show description and just tell your friends music is by blue dot sessions Thanks to Ben MacDonald who did a fantastic illustration of Jeremy for this episode as he does for many of the Lecker episodes. You can see that on the Lecker Instagram and Twitter at Lekker Podcast. And I know I've been away for a while but I've got a load more episodes to come over the next few weeks, some really exciting things. Subscribe if you haven't already and I'll be back in your feed very very soon.